Yo, everyone, welcome back to Quadcast. Um, it's good to have you all with us again. Yeah, so today we have two interesting topics. Um, one that's obviously been making the rounds uh, to do with what we carry, well, which is probably the most common computer in the world right now, which is a mobile device. And as always, it's me, Brandon, and... Wow, 2.0. All my guys are ballers. Or should I say all my guys are hackers? No, I'm playing, man. <laughs> Oh my guys are ballers. <laughs> I can't believe that it on here. What did you say? There was a guy who said, you know, the tube announcers in London. Yeah, 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 yeah. There was a guy who actually said, stay clear from the doors of really? ballers. Whoa, this thing's becoming universal. It's it's funny that it's now, because he's been around for a long time. You know, I heard, you know, Josh, isn't he? His name is. Yeah, Josh, mm. he learned something. Yeah, I heard. But yeah, that's cool anyway. Just for us to switch on my intro today. So do you want to kick it off with what seemed to be a new design trend of affordable smartphones? Sure, yeah. So, um, you know, a hot topic recently in the news or in the tech world has been the introduction of affordable phones, such as uh, Samsung Fold, Huawei Mate X, and Motorola Razr. They're introducing a new foldable phone this year as well. So in this podcast, we will just be discussing our thoughts on these foldable devices and what we think the implications it will have on web developers and, you know, technology in general. So let's kick off with you, Brandon. What's your thoughts on affordable phones, firstly? Um, to be honest, it's, it was already coming up since CEX 2015. Um, yeah, 2016. 2016. So around 2015, mm. 2014, there was a CEX event mm. where Samsung showed us all these um, affordable screens. Yeah. And since then, we are, we already knew, like, okay, this was going to be coming. We just didn't know when. Mm. So Samsung then created the, the Edge, the um, Samsung Galaxy Edge, which had, like, part of the screen bending ho- over. Um, followed by that, then they had, you know, to give you the seamless... To give you the like the bezel-less phones, they started curving their phone to the edge. So that's when we started knowing that okay, um, because the thing about design trends in fo- in phones, especially, is they already know what your phone is going to look like in the next five ten years, just that the technology hasn't caught up for them to be able to sim- you know put it out there as a viable product for people to buy. So mm-hmm. Samsung were not really the first one necessarily to put it out in the market. There were all the brands that tried it, but obviously smaller brands can't attract that much traction. MKBHG had done a video like six months about another brand who tried it. But in terms of designs, I think this is really truly really what the next next um, stage is. So we've gone through the whole trying to do bezel- bezel-less phones where you know we've had the Notch series, um, the iPhone has a Notch, the Google Pixel has a Notch. Galaxy, the newest Samsung phone, didn't go for the notch. They went for the hole punch on the screen mm. where they put the two cameras just on the side of the screen. So this was going to be the natural phase since we saw the, the foldable screens in Samsung. But props to Samsung for, you know, for trying to do it. Um, is it going to stick? I think there is a market for it. But is it going to overtake what everyone's daily driver would be? I sincerely doubt it. Yeah. Does it does it excite me? Not necessarily. Well, yeah, it will be interesting to see where. But but there, there there's a market for it. People yeah. will use it. So 
you know, it's trying to bridge that gap between a phone and an iPad now. You know, I would have thought they would skip everything and just go to hologram. Exactly. You know, I find what you're saying interesting, to be honest, because my thoughts on this is that um, in terms of the market, I think there's a market for it, but I think it's a bit too early to say. I think they're going to use this year as probably their testing phase to see, oh, is this thing, will this thing work? Um, is there actually people out there who would use this device and a bunch of other factors? Because if you look at um, Huawei's design, right, you can see that they've sort of like allowed you to fold it from the opposite direction that Samsung has. And also, as you fold Huawei's one, there's like a crease in the middle. Do you see what I'm saying? So I'm sure there's like, there's many design changes they're going to do with the screen to make sure it's more seamless and smooth. In regards to Samsung's design, I think it's um I think it's pretty cool. I think um I don't know, it's just the hinge to me looks a bit weird from the back, from the outside. Um I'm not feeling the outside though. I feel like, you know, making phones out of glass. I don't know who decided to start this hideous trend. I'm not a fan of it. Both my parents have both dropped their glass phones recently and it's it's been um catastrophic and I just feel like we're paying so much money for these devices and yet they're not building them with robust materials you know so i hope these foldable devices aren't been built with things that are um you know glass or not robust i understand they're using it for technology such as smart charging etc but yeah i'm not feeling the glass um covering in regards to in regards to social acceptability though you know i don't know because to me i think the idea of a, a foldable phone removes the essence of a mobile phone to me in my opinion and why i say this is that I quite like the ability for me right now to be able to hold my mobile phone in one hand and walk around. Do you see what I'm saying? You know, now that we're going to have, well, now that we're seeing foldable phones, are people going to adopt it? You know, I can't imagine someone, you know, um, walking around in a crowded area with um, with their foldable phone open. You know, as you said, it's becoming a mini tablet. Number two, is it unobtrusive? You know, like... Some people might hold it with two hands. You know, I don't know. Most people might hold it with two hands. I, I don't know if this is good at making the, the hand more cumbersome in a sense because we've only got two hands, you know. It's always good to free one up and to be able to do other things with the other hand. So I don't know in terms of, of, um, of what do you call it, in terms of um, agility and um, unobtrusiveness, to be honest. So that's my take on it, to be honest. And what do you think? Should the display be inside or, or outside? I mean, if it's if it's outside, I think uh, again, should it be inside or outside? It, it really depends on what what they are trying to sell the phone as, because you want to, like you were saying about being it being acceptable mm. um, or accepted rather. It's you still want to give people the natural feel of having a phone. Yeah. If you immediately take that away, it's too much of a the golf is too much for the user to try to get used to mm. you know having a screen back and forward and then having to then flip the screen for you to view it becomes a bit too too extra mm. you know so that's why if it's if you have it when it's folded you still feel like okay this is the phone i'm used to this i'm familiar with this okay now this is an extra perk if i decide to open it but if it's a case whereby the front and the back are screens, you're not thinking, uh, okay, it will take a while to get used to. But when you said about using two hands and things like that, I mean, they, they're always going to push innovation. The, your mind can be trained whether you want it or not. Um, in terms of we had the whole not having a headphone jack, mm. 
there was a big uproar about that. And now everyone is on the trend of not having a headphone jack. Most when... people. Most people, not everyone. Yeah, well, yeah. in terms of percentage, was I, I still prefer my headphone. I still use headphone jack. Same even, even with like laptops where the design was, okay, let's take away some of the ports and make it one and everyone has to use dongle. Mm. There was an uproar, but at the end of the day, Everyone is using, okay, now it's USB type C, yeah. type A, just attach a dongle to it. Boom. Because the world eventually would catch up. So you have brands that have got into a place where they can actually force their design pattern on you. And that's why, like I said earlier, the techno- technology was already there. They just needed people to, to catch up. Yeah. You know, and for the technology to grow. So if it's a case whereby you're almost having bezel-less screen, when it's completely bezel-less, it's like, okay, now what's the next phase? Can we begin to, you know, can we begin to train, you know, the mind to do this or the behavior pattern to become this or that? So the the screen being on the back, um, being on, you know, you're not having to, what do you say, the screen being on the inside. Yeah. That's really just optional on how they want to to brand it and what they are trying trying to build with it. So, Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I would like it if they all conformed to sort one sort of agreement. I guess it makes it um, easier for everyone to sort of like um, adapt to, in a sense, because then people don't have to sort of like decide, oh, am I, you know, putting it in or am I putting it out? But like I said, it's still very um, early stages. And these opinions that they're based on my opinions and what I think. I'm a guy who like just likes to hold my phone in one hand. I do not think I will be jumping on this um, foldable phone trend anytime soon um, or any or in a matter of fact, anytime to be honest i don't think i will but i do like seeing exciting um innovation i do like seeing innovation being pushed i do like seeing new things it's just um this is not what i expected you know to be done which is going to lead to my next question but before i ask you my next question is what what's this term bezelments you're talking about like could you define what this means in terms of mobile phone design oh bezelless yeah yeah but we've been trying to get to bezelless for i say we like i'm part of the design team um yeah, but we've we've been trying to get to Bezelas for the last, I would say, two years. Who was the first people to push it? Well, what is Bezelas? That that's that's what I want to know. Oh, so Bezelas is where your screen is. The front of the phone is just completely the whole screen. Mm. So you see your bezels where like your your home button is, the earphone part is, your camera in the front. All that is meant to go, and it's just meant to become a complete screen. I see. So that's what I was referencing when Samsung started doing the edge. Yeah. Is to say, okay, we want to take the bezels from the side away. So how can we do that? We, we're going to put it, push the screen all the way to the edge. That's when they started actually using the foldable screen and brought it into a reproduct. Then it became, okay, how far can we push it, um, horizontally whereby how far can we, you know, so that's when you started, they started removing the, the home button and putting it to the back <clears throat> of phones. So OnePlus did it, Samsung's done it. Um, Apple didn't do it. Apple waited for the Face ID technology before they removed the home screen, mm. and then they had a notch at the top. So now the question people are now thinking: Okay, how are we going to get the notch taken away? You know, so people have tried to put in a slider. Like the, the design for phones just keeps getting wilder. That's why I'm a bit surprised that I'm not actually surprised that for the affordable phones are coming now because the way we had to deal with bezel less 
coming in, it took two, three, four years before it got to a point whereby yeah. Samsung almost has no bezels. Um, the iPhone just has the the notch at the top. Google has a little notch. Um, Essential has a teardrop. OnePlus has the teardrop. You know, so whereby they try to fit the camera and the headphones all in one little part of the screen, so everything else is just it's just money. It's just a screen. Yeah, so, absolutely. I agree with you on that, which is why I say, you know, I, st- I still think it's the early stages, you know, amongst other things in terms of design. There's other issues as well, like um, the price right now. You know, the price for the Huawei, I believe it's like, what, $2,600, which is, you know, still a lot. You know, I would say people should wait for a while until the price, you know, drops down and to wait for more um, iterations that are more seamless and, you know, just look less stiff, basically, because I've been seeing a lot of designs and to me, a lot of them still look stiff. I'd like to see a more um, sleeker, seamless versions, to be honest. So, yeah, I look forward to um, the new designs coming up, to be honest. But I think um, it's interesting. It's not a trend I'll be jumping on, though, to be honest. I think it, it they can market it more for business people because the day-to-day person, to be honest, is not going to use it. What Because most phones nowadays, what people either do is they lease a phone. Mm. Um, that's why people in, uh, on Apple, I know that they just lease a phone. So it's like paying contract, like when you have a car and then every two years you can just, it's not even contract, like three months. Oh, new phone. Okay. Swap out. I can pay my $50 a month or 50 pounds a month. Oh, new MacBook. Okay. Swap out. I can, instead of just like taking contract phones on buying it outright. Mm. But the thing is that phones are becoming so good whereby if you pay a thousand pounds for a phone, it's probably going to last you three or four years, six gig of RAM, Snapdragon, you know, <sighs> yeah. 850 or 875. Even if they start met, trying to mess up the software, it's getting to a point whereby how much more can you, you know, we know Apple tried to do it after two, three years, you can't use a certain phone that's of a particular year, but people are finding ways around it. So I think it's going to go two ways whereby the foldable will be marketed towards business people because it kind of makes sense for them. You come to a meeting, you don't want to type everything on your, you know, two terms, you put your phone down, fold it open, you're recording the meeting while taking notes. Mm. that makes sense and samsung already have the galaxy note so you can use the pen and take your note like it's a like it's a mini notepad and then what they could just do is make the current phone better is you know improve the battery lives improve the screen don't let it drain so much battery life um obviously the snapdragon would always get better the ios um the chip that um apple use would always get better so they could just always improve that and then market affordable phones for a different audience. That's that's the way I see it possibly going in terms of the business aspect of it. That's an interesting perspective, but I disagree in terms of um, they should market it or it should be marketed towards um, business people. And I'll tell you why. You know, I'm seeing a growing trend as I'm jumping on the train with people almost, you know, bringing out their tablets to watch Netflix on two-hour train journeys. Do you see what I'm saying? So I do think it can be marketed towards the um, everyday consumer as well, like you and myself, because of the growing trend of people watching, you know, movies and videos and stuff on their mobile devices right now and tablets and bringing it onto train journeys, etc. So I believe it could work both ways. Yeah, it could. But if a screen, your current screen is like a note is almost like six, six inches or seven inches. I can't remember what was the size to an iPad. That's like iPad mini is like seven or nine inches, you know, mm. the, the difference is not that great if you see where I'm going. Yeah. 
you know, to that extent, I'm obviously the average person would the way human mind works, the average person would definitely buy it. People still buy phones just because it's the latest phone out. Yeah. So I have to get it. So people will still get it. But I'm just saying if they really wanted to, if they wanted to be like, okay, this is the part. Because at the end of the day, when you're making a product, even though you're saying it's for everybody, you always actually pick the key people you know. If nobody else buys it, yeah, you, you are my target. Yeah, you know? absolutely. So another question I'd ask you is that, <laughs> how do you think this will, do you think this will have any huge impact in the way, you know, for us web developers, we develop websites and et cetera? Oh, definitely. Uh, I mean, if you look at the way apps are being created now, it's, oh, this app is not compatible with the new, with the new screen. Because, mm -hmm. you know, when you had with the notches above, um, some people just fill out both sides to be black. Mm -hmm. And then, but then you say, oh, no, then I, why did I pay for a phone that's meant to be bezel-less? Mm -hmm. You know, so people design, you know, companies would have to adapt. It's annoying at times. Yeah, know? absolutely. You know. No, absolutely. I think it'll be interesting for developers. I'm not saying it's going to be hard. I think it's going to be interesting in terms of, you know, building a mobile view and then building a more wider view to, you know, accommodate the, the screen folding. But yeah, it should be, it should be interesting to see what happens. I don't think there should be much difficulties. Um, but it will be interesting in the mobile development space to see what people do with that as well. And, but we'll see anyway. Mm -hmm. Moving on to, you know, my last question of the segment. Is as you alluded to earlier, what sort of innovations are you expecting from mobile phones right now that, you know, are being missed or are untouched? What opportunities do you think mobile phones aren't focusing on in terms of innovation? Uh, all day battery life. Okay. You know, you said something about holographic, um, you know, imagery. I, yeah, I, I, agree, I, mean, I agree with that. In, in terms of being realistic, um, what's it called? <laughs> These people try to... No, because um, Red, the people who make the Red cameras. Yeah. Um, they are playing out, they try to play around with some, with some holographic, um, technology. Mm. And so it's not like there are people trying it, but in terms of what should have been here already. Yeah. Like on our day to day life is yeah. why, why don't I have a full day's battery? Mm. You know, why, like it, it makes like, why, why don't I have a full day's battery? Like that's something you would think, oh, hold on. Why do I still have to charge? Like, you know, why can't my phone not last 24 hours? Mm. Except if I'm obviously heavily, heavily draining it. Yeah. That's, that's different. You know, in, but you know how everyone uses, you, okay, you were saying, if I'm on a two-hour train, I'm going to have to watch something. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, so why can't my phone not handle me watching something? And also, what is with bad network on train lines? That's true. When I, it, when is 5G coming out, people? <laughs> why is it that when you're on the train, some areas doesn't have good network? Why can't we not put more poles up? We pay taxes for these things. I mm. mean, tech companies make a lot of money. Mm. Like, th those are fundamental things that I would think, hold on, instead of you giving me bigger screens, give me a better battery. Mm. Give me a better camera without putting five different lenses on the back of the phone. Mm. Like, why do, why? Why do we need three lens? Mm. on a phone like it's a phone if you want it to be a camera let it be a camera <laughs> if you want it to be a phone let it be a phone you know yeah so it's just basic things like that but the thing is so th this is this is what's happening in the sense that if you want a better lens in your camera for your phone yeah. your phone cannot be as thin as it is so Why? they would rather 
because of the size of the lens. So because the, the camera uses a glass. Yeah. So that's why your like DSLR cameras are really big because it's actually a glass that's in there. Mm. You know, so that glass folds anytime you take a picture. So that's why you have the click that it's a glass like going up and down. Mm. So trying to bring it to phones, you need to like shrink the whole of that and then they use software to maximize it. So yeah. it's like, okay, can you make the phone a bit thicker, which means you can actually put a bigger battery in it. So why can we not sacrifice that? You know what? They should make one phone that's not the tiniest of phone. It will be a bit heavier. We're not, it's not like it's going to be like God knows, like two kilos more heavier. It's probably <laughs> like, like one, a quarter of a, of a gram or something like 0.2 something gram, mm. right? Give me a better camera and it's one lens. Give me a bigger battery. Give me the bezel-less display. You can take your headphone jack. Even no, with the space, you'll be able to put your headphone jack back in. You know, because mm. they keep saying they need space to do this. That's why they remove like the headphone jack, yeah, the fingerprint um and home buttons on the front of the phone because they need more space because the phone has to be tinier. I don't want a tiny phone. So there are basic standard things that they could have done, but they know if they do that, why would I need a new phone in three years? Yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah, absolutely. You make a good point. I guess that's what innovation is about, you know, always pushing it further than what people have already or expect. Hence why I think the foldable, you know, phones are making their way in because I guess phone companies are thinking we've, we've given them a thinner phone, but w- what people continually want is a bigger screen. But um, I guess this is their way of pushing and finding new ways in which to, to innovate. But as for me, what would I like to see? I think, you know, I always joke with my friends that, I'm not getting a new iPhone until they um, introduced the holographic technology that I was promised. It turns out it was a hoax video on YouTube that I watched. So um, that was all lies. Um, I love to see phones making more use of AR and stuff and changing, you know, our, our perception and visual scope, basically, because, you know, the eye doesn't see things in 2D. So why is it the things that we interact with on a day-to-day basis, such as mobile phones, laptops, a lot of them are still giving us 2D-based interfaces. I'd love to see, you know, AR being used a bit more. I'd want to see, I'd love to see it being used, uh, being put into mainstream mobile phones, uh, mainstream, mainstream, um, um, what do you call it, devices, basically, so that it could just change our perception and our view and the way we interact with devices. And secondly, I'd love to, you know, being a HCI, um, human computer interaction research in the past. I'd love to see more um more use of uh gestural inputs. You know, it's 2019 and I still have to pick up my mobile phone with my hand to say hello. Like to me that's you know that's nuts, you know, because I believe that gestural input has been around for ages. Like there's been tons of research in academia in in regards to gestural inputs. It would be nice for me to have the ability to, you know, whilst cooking or something or doing whatever you know with both of my hands cumbersome and in use it would be nice for me to be able to swipe left in the air and you know you know pick my mobile phone up and you know end the call with a you know a swipe to the right i think like we should be we should be looking at new paradigms of of interaction with devices i don't just think we should just make these hardware based you know uh, what do you call it? Updates or innovations to mobile phones. I do think gestural inputs should be introduced. I'd love to see more gestural inputs. Um, you know, um, with my master's research, I was playing with a device called the Maya armband. And what the Maya armband allows you to do is basically wear a piece of hardware on your forearm 
and allows you to interact with any device such as your TV, uh, your computer, your mobile phones without touching it. Because what it does is that it uses the muscles in the forearm to basically detect uh, movements. It uses the, the muscle um, impulses and all that stuff to detect the movements in your forearm and allow you to basically interact with um, devices. So if I clench my fist, it will allow me to move around like with a, with a cursor, you know. So I'd really love to see th these in mainstream, you know, consumer-based devices. So in terms of innovation, this is the stuff I want to see, to be honest. But um, that's... Yeah, okay. You, you see what you said about... Because uh, I was going to ask a question. So you see what you said about that gesture... Because obviously you can draw on the screen to do all that, but you're talking about not touching. Yeah. Not touching your screen. Yeah. One, you have to think of the space it will go on the phone. So that's what I was mentioning earlier about. They always talk about the space. Yeah. That they need in the phone. All those sensors need to go in somewhere. Not, not really. So, you no, know, because right now, because right now, I'll be honest with you. Right now, we have. Um, you could just put the sensor in front of a mobile phone. You know, you know where the camera is now. We could put another sensor underneath the camera. And sort of say, you know, detect hand movement. You know, if my hand hovers over this this device, then do something. Do you see what I'm saying? I don't think it requires a lot of hardware right now. You know, every phone right now has an, has an accelerometer, which basically detects movements. And it's, it's, the, it's the technology that uh, mobile phones use to detect, you know, uh, walking distances and how many steps you take per day and stuff like that. So I believe we can, you know, put a small sensor into a mobile phone and use that to detect gesture input. But then, then you have to talk about how good of a sensor do you want in there, the price it costs I mean, to put that sensor in there. Because I was going to ask, does business, because you have to also think about it from the business aspect, they can pack all of that in there, but the amount it takes to make the phone and then the amount you would have to sell the phone for, can a consumer then afford? Because it's not like they cannot put a Sony um, RX100 lens in a phone they could try to do that yeah but then the sony rs100 on its own cost about well maybe now 400 but in the past it would cost it used to, when it first came out it cost like five six hundred yeah so then you start thinking okay if they do that where are they going to have to make sacrifices it's like when you said about the it being a glass bag mm. the sacrifice was okay it has to be a glass bag because they want wireless charging you know so from the business aspect, I can give you a, a, a gesture and all that type of stuff, but, but how much are you willing to pay for it? Mm, I mean, and, and that's why they always wait for technology to catch up to a part where certain things, they found an efficient way to do it. It's a bit cheaper and then they can bring it to the consumer because now the consumer can afford it. Because like all these hologram things we're talking about and you're talking about 3D views. The, the military has it. They use it. Things we're using now, you know, military has been using it for time because they have the money to pump into it. To say, mm -hmm. okay, yeah, because we, we, we need it for this and that. But the consumer cannot say, yeah, I would take that, uh, you know, that, that, that $10,000 or 10,000 pounds, um, technology there because I want it in my phone. Mm -hmm. It will be great. It will be useful. It's not like it won't be useful, but. How can they put it in there whereby a consumer can then afford it? I mean, that is a good question, you know, but, you know, I don't want to give you my whole background research for my, for, for my master's project, but this research has existed for like 20, 30 years ago. It's been around, it's been existent. So, you know, in the beginning, they were using white, you'd wear gloves that had wires in them and that would allow you to basically interact with, you know, 
computers and now is basically wireless. So, for example, these technologies are now being used in gaming devices. You know, if you look at the Xbox, uh, what's it called? The one that allows you, um, the Connect, Xbox Connect, your Wii. These are the type of things like technologies that are being used in that. So I'm sure we can also, you know, put them in, in mobile devices. And secondly, because of Moore's Law, technology, things such as hardware gets cheaper every year. Do you, see what, do you see what I'm trying to say? You know, the price of a computer, I could get a computer right now, a desktop for like 200 pounds. Back in the day, you know, we would, we would get them for way much more for like 800 pounds. You know, microchips right now, you know, are very, are much cheaper than they were 10 years ago because of Moore's Law. So the point I'm trying to say is as technology advances, the things that we use to build these um, technologies are getting cheaper. So what I'm trying to say is that this research has been around for like 10, 20 years. I'm sure they must have found a uh, a more efficient way of putting sensors into mobile phones that allow people to interact using spatial input or gesture input, in other words. You know, but I do see what you're saying. I just don't think um, um I don't think that's their main concern. You know, we we got to remember one thing as well about mobile phones is that it's not like the software world where we're we're, we're producing software iteratively. We're we're releasing software every three months. You know, like the Tesla cars are so innovative because Tesla can create a new piece of so uh, software in three months, and I could go to the dealership and ask them to update it, or they'll just send an update to my phone telling me these are the new things we've added to to your car. But because the mobile phone lifecycle it takes like twelve months or so or more to build a mobile phone. You see what I'm saying? They have to basically pack as much, you know, innovation as possible without, you know, having the chance to do it again. The next chance they have, you know, the next opportunity they have to make changes is the next 12 months. So I think that is the, that's the main issue and the reason why, you know, they can only pick and choose what innovations go into these mobile devices. But it is a good question though. So I'd love to see how the, <laughs> the cycle of um, mobile development changes. You know, can can the time needed to make a mobile phone reduce from, let's say, 12 months to six? You know, I know it seems like a crazy question, but, you know, the advancement of technology should right. make it possible. It, they, they already have the phones that they're going to release yeah. in yeah. the next three years. But then again, it, it comes down to the... Because for these companies, it's business over design or innovation. It, at the end of the day, yeah, it's about making... Of course. You know, so that's why I said, as well, I said, does business then hinders design because it's not like they can't mm. give it they of definitely course definitely can't give it you know so but then the question is because say for example that that face id from apple um is a lot you know when you're talking about sensors the reason they ask cost more than the one from oneplus because oneplus is a it's a face detection so it takes like a picture mm. of your face the one from iphone actually uses an infrared sensor to check the depth of your face. So that's why you can't fool it with a, with a picture. So it's not like the sensors and technology yeah. are there, but then the, the Apple one costs what, like 500 more just because of the choice of technology they yeah. decide to use. So that's why I'm saying like, it's not like it's not there, but then at the end of the yeah, day, absolutely. it's a business. As, as much as we hate to say, absolutely. it is a business. So I'm not going to give consumers the best of the best. Like this foldable thing could have been done mm. years ago. Since the moment, they brought out the, they showed us uh, the, the folding screens. It could have been done yet. I mean, they are literally TVs that are like the size of, they're basically thinner than, tinier than our phones. Mm. Yeah. And they work perfectly. Like they work perfectly. They could just take a section of that and slap a battery at the back and you're good to go. 
but they decide not to because at the end of the game, it's a bit yeah, absolutely. Difficult. I mean, I guess we're, we're we're both sort of seeing similar things here. Like you got to remember, like this life cycle of mobile phones is is very different to software. Like I've said, so there are greater challenges in which you know phone companies have in terms of to build something that the mass market could use, and that's why I say that if they can reduce the time cycle, they could perhaps you know test more things more, you know. But um, yeah, I guess it's an interesting question. We'll see how um how it goes from here. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll just wait for Apple to, to steal that. Yeah, exactly. Like, this is another, you know, discussion for another day, but I feel like Apple's losing. I mean, I wouldn't say it's losing. They've been losing their innovation. Do you see what I'm trying to say? I think, like, they're now just copying things, you know, which is not the Apple I I grew up loving and, you know, admiring. So it'll be interesting to see um what happens with Apple, man. Moving on to our tech in Africa segment, we're going to be talking about Rwanda. You know, recently I've been reading lots of articles about uh, the great things and transformations that's been happening in Rwanda. You know, E123 likes to send a lot of articles and information about the advancement in in uh, Rwanda. Sometimes you would think this guy is, you know, half Rwandan or something, but um, it's good that he's sending these things and he's he's showing it to us because, like, you know, these are things I'm not seeing in, in mainstream uh, news and stuff like that. But yeah, in this section, we really wanted to dedicate it to talk about some of the innovative things and transformations that are happening in Rwanda. And we're mainly going to be focusing on tech. Yeah. Um, I guess we have to start from the main man himself. Um, what's his Paul, name? The... Paul Kagame. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm terrible with names. Pres- so <laughs> I think it's President Kagame. You know. Yeah, but he's he's been on a tear in the last what two years. I think it was really from twenty seventeen. I started seeing him pop around. You started seeing pictures of like news, you know, the new look of the cities mm. and things like that. And then I was just like, oh, nice, another African country got money from China, decided to do some innovation and tell us it's all good. But lo and behold, the the buzz, especially in yeah. the tech scene, and um, has just been growing and growing and growing. And even when we when we spoke about you know um, the how many con- how many companies in um, in Africa do you think has a turnover mm-hmm. of one billion, and you start seeing a little dot in Rwanda pop up, and you're thinking, oh, okay, hold on, this might not just be you know, it's not just a coincidence that everyone is mentioning mentioning um, Rwanda, and and the government have really been you know strategic about how they wanted to create yeah. their growth, you know, and it's it's really helped, you know, from that economic growth as well, it's wanting um, mm. investment, you know, um, and now it's creating international um, um, recognition and also um, business coming down to to Rwanda, to um, investors coming down to Rwanda to to try and see, you know, basically to come and get their money. Right? <laughs> yeah. Let's be honest. It's not like all this white... No offense, white people, but it's not like you're coming down here to, you know, give your mm. money and go back home. Everyone is looking for where the next thing is. But um, the funny thing is, like, they actually have a Rwanda development board, which I absolutely yeah. love. Uh, and they have a website where you can see, you know, all, all the stuff happening. So Yeah, so, yeah, that's interesting. You know, as usual, I'm going to, you know, provide you with a bit more... Um, 
context and depth about what's happening in Rwanda, basically. So firstly, you know, Rwanda has a population around 12 million people and is undergoing a huge transformation. The key to this transformation is down to them shifting from a agrarian-based economy to a knowledge-based economy. So basically switching from an economy that's based on agriculture to a knowledge-based economy, basically, which was the president's main aim and main ambition to transform Rwanda from one of Africa's poorest nations into a leading knowledge economy by 2020. Interestingly, Rwanda has no natural resources such as oil or gold like other countries in Africa benefit from. So their emphasis has been on investing in IT infrastructure and developing long-term plans for the country. Rwanda is beginning to surpass developed countries in fundamental areas, such as smart city infrastructure, vocational training, and strategic foreign investment. So let's pause there and just discuss some of the things you know I've just highlighted here. What would you would you take? What's your take on that? Or in the in terms of them, yeah, um, anything you know. I think you know. Okay, let me start. I think what's interesting. One thing that I like, um, you know, so far about Rwanda, and one thing they're doing is basically focusing more on you know on the knowledge economy, basically seeing how they're trying to gain as much knowledge as possible in terms of uh, IT infrastructure and seeing how this can impact Rwanda in the future. And I think this is great. This is great because they don't have natural resources like oil or gold, you know, like uh, let's say a country like Nigeria or, you know, or Libya has. Uh, And why I find, the reason why I, I bring this up is because I was pondering the other day and I was thinking to myself, you know, Nigeria, relies heavily on oil and what i find interesting is you know what happens when the the whole world right now is moving away from oil and we're looking into you know sustainable energy what happens what 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 was nigeria doing to prepare for you know when the whole world doesn't need oil anymore what are we doing in terms of this and what other um, places are we looking to invest in so the fact that rwanda is adopting this um adopting this knowledge-based economy i think it's a it's a fantastic idea yeah, and in in terms of that knowledge base, um, they also men- mentioned vocational training, and recently they sent like thirty, um, they sent thirty Rwandan-based entrepreneurs and founders um, to mm-hmm. China um, to Hangzhou in China. Um, they're working with Alibaba. It's called the Alibaba Netpreneur yeah. Training Program, um, and it was launched by Alibaba Business School. So when 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 you say because earlier you just mentioned about, so you, you mentioned about vocational training and strategic foreign yeah. investment. So their, their investment isn't just looking at, you know, come yeah. give us money, but it's also looking at, okay, can you train our people, which goes back to that, you know, mm. knowledge investment instead of the agriculture, you know, it says, um, so this Alibaba Netpreneur training program, um, started, it, it follows the launch of the first African, um, electronic world trade platform yeah. in Rwanda. And um, Jack Ma was there um, last October as well. So you can see that they are not just looking at, you know, they're actually sending people over. So this is 30 entrepreneurs and founders who are going to go mm. get their training from one of the best business mm. person in the world, you know, come back and then invest that into the, mm. the country. So if you, if you imagine, you know, one for every every city, or two per cities, however they want to spread that knowledge out. It is, it's actually a, a viable, viable it's, it's an incredible investment because over time, knowledge is for yeah. yourself. You know, if, you know, people pay nowadays for your expertise. And Absolutely. 
Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, moving on into more um to the more technological aspects of it. As of last year, 4G slash LTE networks cover more than 95% of the country. And they are looking to roll out fiber optic broadband soon. As businesses and citizens are getting connected, Kigali, which is the capital of Rwanda, is becoming an African hub for multinational companies, including Google, Facebook, and Amazon. On its path to becoming a middle-income country, Rwanda has sought advice from China, Singapore, and Thailand, which I think is great. You know, countries collaborating. According to the World Bank's 2018 Ease of Doing Business Index, Rwanda has risen above countries like Italy, Belgium, and Israel to become the 41st most business-friendly nation on earth. Rwanda was also the index's biggest business reformer, with activities like starting up, registering property, paying taxes, and enforcing contracts all becoming increasingly easier in the country, because in the past they were very cumbersome. Um, Over the coming years, Kigali will focus on developing state-of-the-art infrastructure to facilitate the operations of companies and fields of biomed, fintech, big data, cybersecurity, and smart energy. So what do you think about this? I mean, it's no surprise. They have like 100,000 um, IT, IT professional mm, jobs. Wow. In Rwanda. Um, and 100 of their local companies um have like a carpet um carpet market um capitalization of fifty million dollars each. So when when we're saying they are overtaking, that's why like when it when this boss started, you know, we I was like, huh, yeah, yeah, yeah Rwanda. <laughs> but now when you look at it, it's like, oh yeah. crap. You know, they they can actually provide mm-hmm. numbers, which I don't want to compare with Nigeria, <laughs> but Unfortunately, you know, I am from Nigeria and what you were saying earlier about what, what are the, you know, what's the Nigerian government doing to prevent or what is Nigeria mm. in general doing to prevent this? I, I used to complain about people wanting to, to leave mm. Nigeria and so on. And I kept saying, no, you don't have to depend on the government. You don't have to, but this is a good example. You know, this literally, because someone told me we do have to, to some extent, depend on the government because they put policies mm. in place for things to succeed, mm. you know, if they are not putting anything in place for for the country to succeed and giving opportunities or creating a platform for all this technology to get, you know, to mm. be advanced, nothing is really going to happen. You know, see, you know, Rwanda launching the, you know, it says what the electronic world um, trade mm. platform, electronic, not just a, a trade platform. It's an, you know, so they are looking at, technology and actually investing in you know in in that aspect in their country to make sure that that progress comes so it, it doesn't come as a surprise when when they are overtaking countries because they they're basically doing the reverse of what european countries have done in the past they they are now going there to take and mm. bring back you know before they would come to africa take and go back so now Rwanda said, okay, you're going to use us. Let, we should get in something return. Yeah. in return, you know. So, and these results that are coming out is, it, is it, not a, it's not a surprise. It's not like, you know, I mean, it, I'm shocked when you start seeing yeah. the figures, but at the end of the day, it's like, hold on. Is, is it really mm-hmm. a surprise? If you look at it, is it really a surprise? So, yeah. 
I mean, they props to them. Not everyone likes the what's his name, Kagawa yeah. guy. Well, Kagami. K- Kagami. Kagawa is a footballer. Sorry, guys. <laughs> Kagami, but I mean, you have to give absolutely, props, uh, absolutely. Props, I mean, yeah. since his leadership, there's been many transformations. Not to just talk about technology, but politics as well. Um, you know, my thoughts on this is that I like the fact that they're focusing on biomed, fintech you know, big data and smart energy. I think these are the things like the key issues in Africa uh, that we must solve. I think these are issues that are definitely um, important to us. And it's good seeing uh, Rwanda taking a step in these uh, in these um, fields, to be honest. And fintech is becoming huge in, in Africa as well, especially in Nigeria, you know, with companies such as Spacetac, Flutterwave, making huge uh, dense and, you know, m- making huge, you know, uh, making a huge impact basically. So it's interesting to see what companies, fintech companies and biomed companies come out of, um, Rwanda to see what happens and not to talk of other countries in Africa as well, such as Kenya, you know, uh, Ethiopia, as we've, st- as we've spoken about interest, uh, recently. So all this stuff is, is amazing to see, but yeah, carrying on construction of a Kigali campus for Carnegie Mellon University, a US-based institution known for its works in robotics and self-driving cars was completed was completed last July. Global data and telecommunications company Inmosat has been developing ambitious IoT infrastructure across the city. IoT, that is Internet of Things, has been useful in so wonders having with things such as traffic and public transportation. The real strength of IoT is in providing businesses, entrepreneurs, and students with the necessary infrastructure to develop and deploy their own IoT applications, which I think is 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 interesting. And you know, lastly, Rwanda isn't just making all these advances in in uh, technology alone. They're they're also doing great in regards to those who are doing well in other areas such as politics, as we've seen with their fifty fifty gender cabinet mist. Uh, ministers where 13 of them are men and 13 of them are, right. are, are female you know i think they're they're doing very very well as well in terms of um, politics as well as well as you know hosting conferences which are you know raking in millions annually and also tourism as well and boosting tourism so i think it's, it's interesting to see other areas in which um rwanda is uh, improving as well and especially technology so to end my question is you know what would you like to see moving forward in terms of countries in Africa as a, as, as, as a whole and um, basically Rwanda? Well, in terms of Rwanda itself, I think it's the, the long term you're looking to get to a place whereby you're not dependent on other countries. Mm. And I, I don't say that because I, you know, it's not like I hate every country that is outside of Africa. Yeah. I'm just saying, <laughs> <laughs> you know. <laughs> Yeah, it might sound like it, but uh, yeah. I'm Belgian, so I can't hate every country. Um, you know, but it, the, the the idea is that you know, in the in the next what, let's say five to ten years, because their plan was 2020. Mm. You know, in the next, but after that is you want to get to a place whereby you're self-sustained. Because if you look at it and say, okay, let's take Rwanda as a business, they've they've done well mm. so far, but now it gets to a place. Okay, can this thing run by itself? We've created a product here, can it? Because they started with tourism. Yeah. That that's how they started. Um, I will remember when because they have their they, they sponsor Arsenal. Oh, really? The Arsenal kit. You see the visit Rwanda on the on the mm. sleeve. You know, it, they got a bit of backlash for why, that. Why is that? You know, 
they were saying it was something to do with um the where the president was channeling the the, the economy's uh finance and things oh. like that but no one is talking about that now because oh look it's yeah, working, yeah, yeah. you know um but they started with tourism and then now you see how they progress so you, you want to get to a place about okay vocational training becomes paid training mm. and whereby now we can say okay you 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 you've been trained now you go to the lesser people. We would definitely pay you to go train these lesser mm, people mm. somewhere else and take the, you know, the knowledge out of the capital into the other smaller cities where everyone gets to a place whereby it's self-sustaining, whereby they can now say, okay, we are relying, you know, solely on solar panel power. Or for example, how this using the internet of things to sort out the traffic and, and things like that, because a lot of these countries, a lot of these cities, whereby if you're the main city, you're actually overpopulated for your country. So if you take a place like Lagos, because Lagos is the main city where everything is yeah. happening, it's overpopulated. So for Rwanda, that would be the same thing whereby, okay, everyone is here in this particular city. How do we now take you to the other city and, you know, lift everyone mm, else mm, up? And in terms of other cities in, in, um, in Africa, because it's funny you were mentioning about yeah. fintech. Fintech, fintech started, the, the biggest boss started in, uh, in Nigeria and, um, South yeah. Africa for yeah. fintech. But then suddenly it wasn't built upon. Yeah. It's still just fintech. Yeah. They still outsource probably a good percentage of their, of their, um, um, big data and, and analytical yeah. work. What is this? Know. Is this uh, Rwanda? In, in, oh, no, in Nigeria, Nigeria not cool. in Nigeria, because they just didn't invest in saying, Hey, can we train people mm. for this? The, the gov- let's be honest. Nigeria government doesn't mm. really care. Yeah. To some extent, they, they don't, really say, care. they don't care, man. You know, and the thing is, the, the worst part is like, because I, someone once told me, we don't need a saint. We just need someone with a bit of conscience, yeah. right? This guy's coming for Rwanda. He's saying, actually, if you really want to make money, if, if you're a politician and you want to make money, right, and you want to steal, <laughs> just make the country better and you can steal some more. Like, that, that is the funny part of it, you, you, you see? <laughs> no, think what? about it, right? No. Think, so, because this Nigerian government, I just mm. keep thinking, do they actually not know how to steal? <laughs> In what way? Like, if, I, I don't know, if, if they really want to steal, right? Because if, if the best way to tell a lie is with an evidence mm-hmm. of truth, right? If the Nigerian government says, ah, we, you know, it's all about keeping money in our pocket, the, the best way for them to actually keep money in their pocket is to release the money, make the country better, and then when all this new money comes in, Put your share in your pocket. It's literally that mm. simple. But the greed is to hold on to what they currently mm. have. Meanwhile, other countries are looking at Rwanda now and thinking, hold on, we were the talk mm. of the town. How can we? Because I bet you South Africa is thinking, no, we, we used to be, you know, the, the talk yeah. of the town. How do we get mm. back there? Yeah. Kenya, Kenya. The buzz on Kenya hasn't really died down. It's just that Andela's just, um, what's it called? Rwanda's just come out of nowhere and everybody's like, Oh, look, Rwanda stepped yeah. up now. 
And I bet you Kenya is thinking, oh, welcome, mm. you know, let's, let's, let's all do this together. But my country, Nigeria, Buhari, we keep telling us, <laughs> it is, you know, how can I be speaking in slow English? <laughs> so, no, but oh, in, in, like, when, when you see things yeah. like this, I, I, I get excited because this is what we, we spoke 100%. about. God, like what, 2013, mm. 2014, and saying, you know, going back to, to Africa. And, you know, when you start saying things like this, you're thinking, oh, okay. Our, our, our dream was. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's just, maybe it's far for Nigeria, but at least we're not. Yeah, things. exactly. Exactly. But <laughs> yeah, everything you said is, is absolutely, is, is actually interesting, actually. And, and I agree with. But, um, you know, one thing I, I would like to see more in terms of, um, going forward is Rwanda being more, um, and ambitious and, you know, just, just to keep growing. But also I would love to see more African countries, you know, come together in some sort of consortium, like I always say, and just talk things out and see how, you know, we could all collaborate. Cause as you can see, Rwanda's doing really well with collaborating with other countries, Asian countries like China, Thailand, et cetera. It would be great to see them, you know, also collaborate with other countries in, in, in Africa. As you know, there is an African Union, which I think um, the president of Rwanda is um, the president of as well. I think I saw somewhere online. And it would just be great just to see more dialogue happen within other countries in Africa and to see how we can all grow our economies together into greater depth because, you know, two is better than one, you know. And yeah, I think that's all I have to say, to be honest. But overall... I think um, Rwanda is doing great with all the transformation they're doing with the economy and the growth they're making, especially in technology. Uh, I will still say, though, I'm just not 100% sure how I feel about China investing in See, East African countries. You know what? I've, I've, I've highlighted it. I'm sure I've said this on the yeah. podcast. And that's why, that's why when you said, what do you want to see mm. going forward? I was like, a place whereby you're not, you know, they are not dependent on... There's nothing wrong with collaborating mm -hmm. and... Uh, you know that that part is completely yeah. fine, but when it gets to a point whereby they are saying this country holds us, you know, fifty billion dollars, yeah. or now we want to take this yeah. from you because you mm. haven't paid, that that's where I said, you know, my senses are yeah. oh, okay. This is absolutely, I agree with you. I think I like a voice said. I think it's definitely an area we all need to bring onto the podcast and discuss more. I just feel like um, currently I don't have. We don't have enough information on it as to know what China is doing because there are also different talks with China, you know, giving us money and that's that is countries in Africa and sort of like you know transferring that for uh, you know property real estate space you know and I feel like if that's true and the more we do that then basically China's owning part of Africa the more we allow them to do so. Do you see what I'm trying to say? So because we don't have enough information on that right now, it's just articles i'm seeing i like to develop my knowledge more on on what's happening with china and investments they're making in africa and i do definitely think it's a topic we must discuss 100 percent. hence why i specified that you know china sorry rwanda should collaborate more with countries in africa and see what we can do as africans come together and make the continent even greater you know brilliant i i guess that's a wrap for this week's podcast if you have any questions or any suggestions, feel free to um, send us a message, tweet us, uh, follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, if you want to. And yeah, we look forward to recording another podcast and making it as interesting as this. So thank you very much again for listening and we will see you soon. Peace. All right. Yep.